20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know my guest. He's the one and only Sam Munson. You can find him on X or Twitter at Sam underscore at PFF underscore Sam, excuse me. And of course, you can find him on the PFF NFL pod. Sam, welcome back to the show. How have you been? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Wish we were talking about a Packers victory, of course, but alas, you don't know what you're going to get from this Packers team in any given week. They might beat the Chiefs. They might make Baker Mayfield look like an MVP. Who knows what's going to happen against Carolina this weekend? We'll talk about that as well, but I'll start with your overarching thoughts on Packers Bucks from this past Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we been talking about the defense a few times this season. Um, and one of the things we've been saying is that generally it hasn't been terrible, but situationally it has been. Well, this yep. was one where genuinely and generally it was terrible. Like across the board, nothing went right. Everybody got beat. Um, coverage was horrendous. And they made Baker Mayfield look like an absolute superstar. Um, not just a perfect passer rating for the game, but it only took him like three quarters to put up his season high in terms of passing yards, just everything he wanted to do worked. And and the Packers defense really had no answers for the entire game. So, you know, if you're one of those people that's looking to make a change, a coordinator and, and, and fire um, Joe Brady, or these are the um, like, this is the game, right? Yeah, no, you would thought you would definitely think so. And, you know, it's so interesting now back to back weeks where the NFC offensive player of the week, uh, Tommy DeVito last week, Baker Mayfield this week going against this Joe Barry led Packers defense. Um, it, it To your point, it, situationally, it hasn't been good all season long. It never really passed the eye test. I kept going back and forth because this one number kept staring you at the face of while well, they were the number nine points defense in the NFL coming into this week. And it's like, none of it made sense from a pass defense, run defense, explosive plays, turnovers, like DVOA. You look at any direction you wanted to look at it, it, it didn't pass the eye test, the sniff test, any test, but there's that one glaring thing. It was like, they're ninth in points. And like, I kept going back to, I'm like, am I missing something here? Did they, did Joe Barry, did Joe Barry of all people somehow figure out some crazy cockeyed theory, like NBA level of, Hey, we're going to allow all these long twos, but we're not going to allow threes and, you know, layups. Did he figure out something where the, the end result is no, it was just bad situationally all year. And now we saw it come to fruition in a lot of situations in one game against a fine offense. That's not great. And now that ninth defense is I think down to 17th and everything just looks as we've kind of expected it to look all season long. And to your point, the pass defense in this one was atrocious. I'm curious. I know when I looked at it, I actually thought the defensive fronts and the edge rusher, the defensive line and edge rushers, not too bad of a day, but the inside linebackers, the corners, the safeties, they could not stop anything. No, in particular, the the second level, you know, the 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 linebackers, Quay Walker, I had a really rough game across the board. Um, but you're right, like they they made some plays up front. Some of the defensive yep. linemen, the pass rush that's been, I think, the strength of this defense, actually did get pressure and cause some problems and and create some um, you know potential issues. But the back end just let plays happen anyway, even when the, that was the case and the ball got, as long as the ball got out, it was going somewhere productive and that was the problem. And ultimately the fact that this defense has been overall still okay. I mean, even with this game, like you say, sort of just dropping below league average, that isn't catastrophic either. Right. But it's, it's, it, it's worse than that. When you consider 
that it's all the key moments, right? And and at some yeah. point, being generally okay in this Joe Barry defense, if you're going to be bad when it matters the most, like being generally okay doesn't matter, right? Like if it's like being the opposite of clutch, if you're going to collapse when it really matters, that's like that's way worse than not being great for most of the game but then when the game's really on the line actually turning you know turning it on and being great so you know i think the way that this defense is struggling is is a particularly bad indictment yeah a million percent and you mentioned those big moments and there was so many times in this game too where they would get the sack and then they'd allow an 18 yard completion or a 24 yard completion the play after and i was like well that sack was great but it completely got counterfeit a play or two later and ends up not even mattering which again on the the pff grade sheet or when we're going through this it's still a good play for the the player right. but as a defense as a whole it just immediately gets wiped out um i wanted to ask your opinion kind of from the outside looking in were you you know surprised that Green Bay did not make a change on Monday with their defensive coordinator and maybe go in a different direction for these final three weeks looking for a spark? Or were you not surprised that they decided to go status quo? No, probably not surprised. I think, you know, it's there aren't too many teams that make that kind of fundamental shift, you know, during seasons. I think it's difficult. The, most teams will wait until the end of the year and then figure it out, you know, particularly if you're not um like if you're still sort of in the hunt if you're still in contention if it's still only a game or two away from where it needs to be it's hard to make that decision of okay we've seen enough we got to go and that's why i think you know mike tomlin doing it with matt canada earlier in the season was a, a huge departure particularly for that team you know the yep. steelers don't do that ever for coaches the last time they fired a coach mid-season was back when burt bell did it you know, who was like a commissioner in the 40s or 50s or whatever it was, and he fired himself. Like, it's not even, you know, it's not even as simple as the coach finally got sick. He fired himself. That's how insane Maybe. and rare it is for the Steelers. So it's not something I think that tends to happen unless the team is completely bombed out of contention and they're just cleaning house. You know, the sort of game where, and this, you could argue this was in that same category, but like the Raiders Chargers game, right? Where when you have that kind of game that's putting up historical numbers, you go, okay, that's that's the kind of game that gets everybody fired. I don't think this was quite in that category. It was just regular bad as opposed to historically bad. I'm with you. And that was the one thing. And the other thing that I will say too, I was looking for signs as I rewatched this game at the end of this game to be like, did the defense ever quit? I don't think they quit. I think they were just bad. And then like, that's not necessarily encouraging for Packer fans, but if you see signs of quitting or immense frustration or just like any of that sort of stuff. Now there have been some interesting stuff. The Jair saga is really odd and bizarre. The now Devondre Campbell had an interesting tweet this week. Like there's starting to see some, some, you know, signs of some things that may not be going so great. Uh, but when I watched it through, there's the very last drive. There's maybe a run on the final play where they get that big explosive where he slides down at the end. But overall, I didn't see this team quit at any given point, which led me to believe they would probably stay status quo and look at this more in the offseason. And I, I would expect them to go in a different direction come the offseason. I wanted to ask you about that as well, though. Uh, one name that's already come up, and I know some people aren't quite thrilled with it because it's the same style of system that Joe Barry is running right now. That's Brandon Staley. Um, that's a really interesting one. He has some connections with Matt LaFleur. Um, Matt LaFleur seems to want to run this style of defense. It just hasn't exactly gone well. It's not gone well necessarily through the course of the league, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on Brandon Staley, just the defensive coordinator. And if there's any other names out there that would intrigue you, if they do in fact go in a different direction. 
Yeah, Staley is an in, will be an interesting kind of candidate for defensive coordinator jobs once um, we get to the offseason because theoretically that's the defense people want, right? It's that big Fangio scheme. That is the defense that is number one um, kind of in vogue right now in the NFL generally. But number two, it's also the defense that specifically causes problems the most for the kind of Shanahan tree type offenses, which are the ones that are the most successful in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. And it's part of why, you know, Mike McDaniel and potentially LaFleur as well. Um, and th- they're getting these guys in, in part because I think they think that that's the best defensive system in the NFL, but also to practice against it. Like they specifically want to work against that defense because it's the one that causes them the most problems. So they want to work out the kinks in their own offense against that defense on a regular basis during practice. So they hire these guys like McDaniel going to sort to try and make sure that his defense or his offense is at its best. And when you listen to any of those guys talk about their kind of coaching experience and history and development, they all talk about the importance of understanding the defensive side of it as well. And not just kind of working at this from an offensive prism and nothing else. All of these guys talk about how important it was to understand the defensive side as well. And and really that's what makes them so good. So I could definitely see LaFleur wanting to bring in that scheme. Um, And we are only a few years away from Brandon Staley running that scheme to the degree of being the number one defense in the NFL. Now, that was with Aaron Donald and that was with Jalen Ramsey, right? There's a personnel element to this as well. Um, But it was a really good defense when he ran it with the Rams. And it was always a surprising and curious and kind of unexplained thing that he never even got close to doing that with the Chargers, right? Like that defense barely even got better during his time there, let alone started to make inroads towards being the number one defense in the NFL. So I think he's he's in this weird position now where I don't know what to make of that. Like, do you, is this a guy that you can expect to come in and with better personnel immediately put, you know, a top 10 defense on the field again? Or was the Rams kind of time just a weird confluence of events? And actually he's not capable of doing that anywhere else. And that's what I'm intrigued by too. My... My gut tells me, A, that Matt may want to stick with that system for all the reasons that you mentioned. My gut also tells me, you know, if you look at outside of Fangio and Miami, a lot of those coaches running that system have not been super successful this year. As you mentioned, there is a very big, you know, talent talent element to that as well. You have to pair good players no matter what scheme that you're running. And I think that's clearly been an issue and to some extent with the Chargers and obviously in Green Bay. I, I'd be very intrigued to see if if it's just the coordinator, but they're running similar systems and that can make a change and an upgrade in and of itself. I, I think this is going to need a difference in not only coordinator, but philosophy. We'll see about scheme, but obviously personnel is an issue as well. We just talked about the back end of the defense. There's not a ton of great schemes. As I've been talking about all week, there's no offensive coordinator, quarterback, offensive coach in the world that's necessarily scared about throwing at Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell, Carrington Valentine, Eric Stokes, Keyshawn Nixon in that safety room right now. Like, it's just not intimidating. If you get pro, all pro Jair back, maybe that changes things a little bit. But right now, there's just a lot of holes in this defense. Um, I'm not sure it's going to matter if they don't make some upgrades who the coordinator is, but it certainly can't seem to hurt right now. Any other names uh, on your potential radar for, for Green Bay? Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. 
a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It's tough for defensive side of the ball because, you know, we, we are in this weird world where there's, there's a bunch of proven guys. I wonder if, um, and this is not a candidate for for the this job, but I wonder if the success that uh, the Brian Flores is having this year in Minnesota is going to start changing that dynamic a little bit, and suddenly teams actually do want to invest more back into those kind of man coverage type systems. And you know, the the stuff that Flores is doing is very very different from that Vic Fangio scheme and that Vic Fangio tree, and and it's very different actually from what he was doing himself the first time around, whether it was with. New England or, or Miami when he was the head coach there, and yet it's being wildly successful this year for the Vikings. So in a copycat league, I wonder if teams will use that as a, a reason and an excuse to start looking back at the guys that are more of that type of defensive uh, scheme uh, in terms of philosophy, which is not where they've been going for the past sort of three, four, five years. And that's what I'm so intrigued by too, is it always seems like you want to be on the upswing of whatever new defenses would kind of become in vogue. It almost feels like this, you know, Fangio style is just getting to the point where teams are now really figuring it out and knowing what to do against it. It feels like you almost need to start going in a different direction, or at least getting somebody with new ideas, just like we saw cover two go out. We saw cover three go out of vogue. Like once you get these defenses that get figured out, they can go out of vogue very, very quickly. And it seems like you need something new. Brian Flores clearly found something in Minnesota. I'm going to be intrigued, not just what Green Bay does, but how all these openings in the offseason kind of transition. And if there is a new movement with how to you know play defense in the NFL, That'll be worth uh, kind of monitoring. I wanted to go back to this week's game. I wanted to go over the the tale of two walkers, if you will. We touched base on Quay a little bit, but I want to start on the offensive side of the ball. Rashid Walker, left tackle, still in a little bit of a rotation with Yash Nyman. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, Rashid Walker, 88.7 grade this week. I think somebody had posted as well, like since through week 12, he's one of your, I think, top 10 rated offensive tackles. I'm not a, a million percent positive on that, but he over the course of the past four or five weeks, He's looked entirely different than he did earlier this year, whether it's just confidence, playing time, the competition with Yash. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, he had a really nice week this week and has been playing much better football. Yeah, he did. He was almost perfect in pass protection. Um, the only pressure we gave he gave up was it was a strange kind of play action type of um, pass protection, you know, where everything slides to the right to make it look like a run play. And he just kind of it's not a normal pass set, you know, so in the course of his footwork there. He basically just, I forget who the defender was, but he he bull rushed him, kind of ran right at him and bounced him back a fair bit before he had a chance to try and recover that. 
Um, and then that, but that was it. Otherwise, he was he was basically perfect from a pass blocking standpoint. And then the run game, Logan Hall in particular, he wrecked on a few plays where he either just completely chucked him to the ground or he completely caved him in on one occasion, just dominated him physically. Um, but he, he won kind of with a mix of power and size and some good footwork and mobility as well. Like it was a complete all round performance from him. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see his growth. It was not that way, especially in run blocking at the beginning of this year. And credit him for continuing to grow and get better throughout this season. I'm really intrigued to see if they feel like they have something. I, I, I'm hesitant because, again, they're still rotating Yash in a little bit at that spot. So clearly, if they just felt like he was the guy, they probably just have him be the right. guy. Uh, but he definitely has been playing better football over the course of this past month. On the flip side, the other walker, Quay Walker, and we kind of talked about already, but a 29.5 grade this week, a 58.4 grade now on the season. He had a 52.0 grade in 2022. He's now ranked 68th out of 80 eligible off-ball linebackers per the PFF uh, system. This has not been trending in the right direction. Now, to be fair to Quay, he has been battling some injuries. He's been in and out of the lineup. I'm sure that's probably affecting him. I did feel like he was playing better earlier in the season than he is right now, and maybe injuries have something to do with that, but uh, it hasn't necessarily looked great for Quay as of late. No, and you know he was always a strange draft choice for us. Like he was a guy that had never graded well in college. He was an athlete, you know, and, and you can see him. He can just any pick any play and just watch him. The way he moves around, his size, his um, explosiveness, his speed. Like he is athletically exactly what you want at the linebacker position. But at some point, you need evidence that they can translate that into actual play, and that's never been there for for Quay Walker. And in this game in particular. What stood out to me was the sheer sort of variety of ways that he was screwing up, right? It wasn't like one thing that kept coming up over and over again. It's like every conceivable way you can think of of getting beat, he was fighting a way to get beat. The the first big negative he's got, um, he just gets whooped one-on-one by Rashad White out of the backfield, right? Okay, that happens. It's not necessarily yep. a great matchup to linebackers. It was another play down by Tampa Bay's goal line. Um, he reads it really quickly. It's a, it's like a power counter play, something like that. There's a pulling um, a, a linebacker in this case. He reads it really quickly, scrapes over the top. He's in the hole before the lead blocker is, and then just kind of just doesn't attack it, just kind of engages the guy. And then a, a, a tight end is able to drive him completely out of the gap that he's in and, and open up a huge space for the running back. Um, he gives up another big pass play where he's aligned on the wrong side of the field. They, there's three receivers to this side. Devondre Campbell realizes before the snap and is like, dude, over here, there's three on two on this side, and he doesn't even see it. In fact, he takes a step in the other direction once the ball is snapped. And he's completely out of position. Campbell tries to cover and, and doesn't isn't able to make the play. Um, and then there was one other one where he's he's playing Tampa two linebacker again, reads it like understands this is going to be going to Godwin. It's going to be a, a post route. I have this, and then just makes a total mess of the angle he takes and and doesn't neither goes for the ball nor nor um, Godwin and ends up getting nothing. And the ball just goes right where he's supposed to be over his head. It's like. That's like an entire spectrum of ways to lose in, in the course of four bad plays. And that wasn't even the entirety of the, the number of ways he got beat in the game. So, you know, that's, I think, the real concerning thing. If we just had one fatal flaw, we could potentially scheme around it or, you know, work to avoid those plays or, or whatever, figure out a way of, of, of not having that cripple his game. But if you're just getting beat everywhere in every possible way, like you can't be on the field playing like that. 
There's some similarities to Darnell Savage at the safety position where when those guys are going forward and playing fast and just attacking, you can see the athleticism come out. But as soon as they have to sort of start thinking in the open field and diagnosing and reacting and taking the right angles to stuff, everything just becomes a mess. And that's obviously not the trajectory that I think the Packers were hoping for in year two out of Koi Walker. You will still see him make plays just off of that raw athleticism from time to time. But you also want to see him develop as a football player with that football IQ, with the instincts. And I haven't seen that from him. I think that's been the really disappointing aspect. Um, Again, some of the playmaking, especially early in the year, was a little bit more there. But the consistency with which he plays with and, again, finding some of those plays, even when they're right there for him, even when he does diagnose it correctly, that's been, like you said, a fatal flaw of his. And I think Green Bay has a lot of questions at some of these positions that they've put high draft picks into, including linebacker. I don't think Devondre is going to be back next year. They have a question mark still in Quay. I don't think Isaiah McDuffie's the answer at that spot. So even though they just invested in that spot with the first round pick two seasons ago, it still remains an issue. And uh, it's almost the exact opposite of uh, what we we're just talking about with Rasheed Walker and trajectories. Um, just another another question mark is this Packers team has to evaluate through the course of the remainder of this year and going into the offseason. Yeah, I think the most concerning plays were the ones where he read it quickly. Like it would be one thing if we were just a step behind everything and we were late reading the play and, you know, and then that was your problem. Um, it wouldn't be good either, but at least it wouldn't make sense. Like now the ones that are most concerning is where he's actually reading it well or quickly and then still makes a mess of it. Like that play where he got blocked by the tight end and the run game in particular, like that, that's one where you're, you would expect him, if he was going to make a mess of that play, you would expect the problem to be, he was late reading it. He got out of position and he was just never in a, a spot to make that play. He read it fast. He was actually ahead of that and then got blocked by a guy that he should have been able to run right through and stop that run play. Like that's because that's, you should have with your athleticism, like the, the physical traits that he has, he should have been in position to make that play. He was in position to make that play and still didn't because he didn't sort of use his athleticism and his strength. Uh, concerning to say the least. All right. I want to get a couple offensive players uh, out before we get you out of here. The first one, Dontavian Wicks currently rated the 28th overall wide receiver on PFF's grade. Now, no math major, but I believe there's 32 teams in the NFL. Uh, so that would make him a number one wide receiver. Now I'm not going that far, but I actually kind of wanted to just kind of pick your brain on, is this a player that has the potential to become a legitimate number one wide receiver? Because there's certainly some really fun spurts out of him in his rookie year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we're a bit too early maybe to tell. Like I was saying before Christian Watson had his little breakout um, before he got hurt and we got got the kind of couple of games of post-Thanksgiving Christian Watson where he looked like he was at the tail end of last year. Before that happened, I was sort of saying, look, Dontavian Wicks has has earned at this point more playing time than Christian Watson. Like he should he's the one that's showing what we're waiting for Christian Watson to show. And then we got a couple of games of Watson showing it. But again, now that he's got hurt and we were sort of swung back by by necessity to give Dontavian Wicks more playing time, you're seeing it again. And that's really all you can say is that so far through this rookie season, he has looked like the guy in that receiving core who deserves the most playing time, who deserves the most opportunity, and who has been impressing the most relative to his um, expectations and chances with the football. So I think all you can do at that point is continue to try and find a way of getting him the ball more and then figure out where the ceiling to this thing is. And I don't know if that's going to be a number one wide receiver or if it's just going to be another you know, useful player to have in a receiving core and actually 
Watson is the one guy with that potential theoretical number one upside. But either way, I think he's showing that he needs to be like a, a valuable and, and consistent part of this group. Yeah, I think the nice part for Green Bay is they've got some options there with Jaden Reed, Wicks, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, even Malik Heath's had a few nice plays as of late. So they've got a well-rounded wide receiver core, and I think it's going to be fun to see who really steps up and maybe even just takes that number one spot and says, hey, I'm going to be the guy. I'm intrigued with Romeo of that group to see if he ends up kind of being as the number four guy. And I know a lot of people have been like, well, if Wicks is good, if Reed's good, if Watson's good, where does that leave Dobbs? And to me, it's just there's going to be guys that get hurt like we've seen all season long for Green Bay. You're going to need right. three or four wide receivers all season. It's a it's a good position to be in, but they do still need that guy to step up, I think, as a, a more clear number one overall option. And then that leads me to our, our kind of our final one today, and that's Jordan Love. And obviously this whole season for Green Bay has been centered around him. He's now PFF's 18th graded quarterback, 17th if you take out the the Jake Browning you know experience so far, which has been fun, but only a couple hundred snaps so far. Um, but somewhere in that right meaty middle portion of the curve, for in your opinion, where does that leave Green Bay and Jordan Love moving forward? It's been trending up, but he's still kind of in that middle area. It would seem like he's trending to be their franchise guy, but how do you kind of see it? Yeah, I mean, I think the good thing is, you know, there's a few games left so they can hopefully hopefully add a little bit more data and a little bit more information to the 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 picture. Um, but at the moment it's kind of like almost in the worst possible place because he's not clearly the guy and he's not clearly not the guy. He's somewhere in the middle and that's the yeah. dangerous area of I you know, when you get lost in this world of I'm not quite sure whether we have the quarterback or not, you can go years and just sort of years without making that decision and get yourself trapped in this kind of quarterback purgatory world. So I think you're right. It, it is broadly trending in the right direction. Um, I forget who it was that that referred to it as like a stock market, right? You shouldn't focus on the day-to-day. -day. You should sort of focus on just the broad picture up or down. And that's kind of what we're seeing. It's a broadly, it's broadly headed in the right direction with some weird jumps in either direction over the course of the year. If that continues to keep going up, you know, over the over the the final few games of the season, and we end the year, and we're like, yeah, look, he the the start was rocky. It wasn't always perfect. We were headed in the right direction, though, over the year. And let's remember, this is a young receiving core and a you know an offensive line that was a work in progress, and blah blah blah. I think you can talk yourself into okay, let's you know, he's at least the guy for another year, and we can figure yeah. it out, re reassess this time next year and if we still haven't improved then maybe we have a different conversation but i would say at that point he's earned the opportunity to show that you know let's let's do it again with with a better environment across the board and see what it looks like um if he like if he collapses down the stretch or if he just reverts and there's no more positivity and it's just we end up with jordan love ranked you know 20 something then the, the kind of underlying numbers all look vaguely similar in terms of generally inaccurate relative to everybody else you know some big big mistakes and then i mean you can definitely have the conversation of is this the guy but then it's also a case of like what what is the alternative you know it's one thing deciding okay he's not the guy we need to start looking for other options but you're not you know you're not going to be in a position necessarily for the obvious one you're, you're not going to be in the same uh, spot that the bears are right where they they right. have to make the same kind of com the same kind of evaluation is justin feels the guy yes or no binary you know binary outcome but then they have well then we just draft the guy you know number one overall yeah. so it's easy the the packers aren't going to be in that situation they have to answer that question first is jordan love the guy yes or no 
But if no, well, now it's like, crap, now what do we do? Because we don't have the number one overall pick. We don't have, you know, a shot at necessarily one of those top guys. It's difficult to find quarterbacks in free agency or trade. You know, they're, they're in a different, a much more difficult spot. So even if they come to the same answer, it just creates a lot more difficult um, conversations. I think maybe the single most interesting aspect of the Packers this offseason is to see how they attack this Jordan Love contract situation. He's got one year left. They could let him play it out and see how things go for one more season. Or do they get aggressive and do they say, you know what, we believe in him. We're going to give him the contract. It's going to be something long term. That to me is is going to be very, very interesting for Green Bay and how it kind of sets the quarterback uh, market maybe in flux in future years as well. Very intrigued by that. Sam, awesome, awesome stuff as always. Thank you so much for coming on. Enjoy talking to you every single week. Uh, tell everyone where they can uh, find the PFF uh, NFL pod and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Um, PFF NFL podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And we are we are a finalist for the best American football podcast in the sports podcast award. So we need people to vote. You can find the, uh, the link on my pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam. We would appreciate all the votes we can get. So I'm now just learning that I am not a finalist for the uh, NFL visits. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Congratulations on that. That's absolutely amazing. You guys do tremendous work. Make sure to go vote. Follow the pod at PFF NFL pod. And of course, follow Sam at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, thanks as always. We will see you guys next week. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. 